Whenever we think about witches, we tend to think about Salem, Massachusetts and the Hollywood-like witch trials of 1692. But what is often overlooked and forgotten is that in the decades before Salem, the majority of witch hunting and executions took place in Connecticut. This dark period of American history saw numerous accusations of witchcraft, leading to the trials of innocent individuals including the first conviction and execution of a witch in the American colonies. The religious fervor and superstition of the time contributed to the hysteria, and the people of Connecticut truly believed the devil walked among them. This is a study of Strange. Welcome to A Study of Strange, everybody. I'm Michael May, and I'm joined by Sean and Sinead Prasad. You guys are brother and sister, right? Like, I'm not yeah. crazy. It's not just, like, coincidental. You have <laughs> no, the same yeah. last name. Yeah, we are. It's not we're a coincidence. We're not married. Um, no. And we're yeah. not twins, either. Yes, yes. Uh, and both of you are writers and actors and and performers and producing your many, many, many hyphens between the both of you. And you're probably most well known for shipwreck comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. That, that is our thing. Cool. Uh, well, so tell everybody what that is and what you do. Sure. Um, shipwreck comedy is a, uh, we are a production company. I used to say we we're like a sketch group, but that's not really true yeah. anymore. I'd say we're a production company. Um, we are currently um, Mary Kate, Wiles, uh, Sean Prasad, and myself, and we do literary, historical, comedy, web series, sketches, um, videos, and soon-to-be audio content. So good audio content. I'm I'm very excited about that because you can tell I like yeah. audio content. Yeah, good setup <laughs> yeah. over there. No, you guys do such great work. I'm so honored to have met you recently and been talking to you. And and I've told you guys this, I think, but I first came across Shipwrecked Comedy because you were nominated for a million, a million categories in the <laughs> International Academy of Web Television oh a handful gosh. of years ago yeah. yes. for those awards. And and I was I was nominated for one measly thing that night for a best director project I did, but it was Poe's Dinner Party. Is that, that's what it was called, yeah. right? Poe's Dinner uh-huh. Party, that series. Yeah. And I remember seeing, you know, every time you guys were nominated, which was every freaking category, <laughs> they would show clips and I kept being like, oh, that's made for me. That's It's a murder mystery. <laughs> it's historical fiction. It's comedy. It just seems so good. So I, I, I actually, I kid you not, I think I pulled up that series that night. Um, I, pr- I'm pretty sure it was that night that I pulled that up and started watching it. Um, and I know that's not the only thing you've done. You, but you've done other things. Yeah. And that was like six or seven years ago, I want to say. Well, so that's, just, you know, we, we certainly were nominated in every category and we <laughs> definitely won zero of them. So. Yeah. Wow. We went O for the entire night, <laughs> which is fine. You know, it's, there's yeah. no, um, there's no harm in that, but, uh, yeah. it was, no, it was no. kind of funny. Yeah, not but that's really no cool. I remember that night. It was at the mm-hmm. uh, at the Skirball. That's yeah. right at the Skirball, and uh, yeah, it was a fun night. I, I had a great night, and it was it, it was honored to get nominated in one one thing. Yeah, for me. it's very cool. <laughs> but no, it, you guys do great work, and I'm excited to have you on for many reasons, including the yeah. work you do. Real quick, just to get some updates out of the way for my listeners. First, thank you everybody for listening and subscribing. 
and rating and everybody that's been doing so. And if you haven't done so, please do so. It's uh, you know very amazing that you do. And I wanted to tell everybody next week, I'm going to do a very different episode. I'm going to do a Bigfoot, my first Bigfoot episode, guys. I'm actually really excited about it. But it's going to be very different because I'm going to have my six-year-old son on as my guest because he's obsessed with Bigfoot. <laughs> And I, I've I've kind of run this by some listeners. My wife is the one that came up with the idea. So I'm not like a crazy dad throwing my son on a podcast. And um, yeah, so that's the plan. It's going to be a little different because he's six. So I can't go like super scary. I can't go like deep into history like I like to do in nerdy ways. So I don't know how it's going to come out, but definitely stay tuned. And if he for some reason backs out at the last minute, I'll come up with something else. <laughs> but I, I wanted to give everybody a heads up because I, I think that's going to be a fun listen. All right, so today we will be covering the witch trials of Connecticut that took place about 50-ish years before Salem, and Salem's obviously very famous. Connecticut is not well known in terms of the witch trials. Innocent people lost their lives. There was fighting, jealousy, lies, drama. There there might have been a little bit of a cover-up by sort of politicians and authority figures back then because even historians and like the 19th century weren't aware that this happened. It kind of got swept under the rug. Salem might have helped because that took a lot of attention. But yeah, there's there's not many records of the Connecticut witch trials and historians today have done an amazing job really being historical detectives and piecing together what they can because the information they've been able to to track down and find through like census records and old court documents and stuff is pretty amazing but there there is a lack of detail so you, we can't go into like every single case because it's almost impossible to do so and then you guys this is what makes this episode kind of special too is you guys grew up for a while in Salem Massachusetts correct mhm yeah we, we were so- we were just outside just in the next town over Oh, well, then I should get different no, guests. Then. Thanks, yeah. thanks well, we for your did, time. Um, we did work in Salem and spend most of our time there because it was yeah. a lot more exciting than Marblehead next door. Oh, nice. Uh, so what do you guys, uh, Sean already has told me a little bit, like he said, Sinead, you're you're way more knowledgeable about these things. But how did growing up in that area, how did the witch trials or even just like the ambiance of that like old New England gothic-y horror kind of stuff. How did that affect you growing up? So, so much. And I, I have been thinking about this a lot lately about how it doesn't seem to be that way for people I grew up with. It was like Sean and I specifically just like uh, in our own ways, like latched on to the history of our neighborhoods. And we really like immersed ourselves in it. We got jobs doing like historical tour guides, uh, being historical tour guides in museums, like based on Salem history. And um, I think it really, it really affected us and what we were interested in. I find, I found myself from a very young age being just drawn to things like the supernatural and um, delving, doing deep dives into like historical uh, events, not just the witch trials. And Mm -hmm. um, it just, yeah, it gave me like, just being immersed in that world and especially the way like Salem like took it and made it its whole brand was, it was very interesting to me. And I was like, I guess I, I guess this will be my brand as well. <laughs> the weird. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it's cool. It's cool. Like, like Halloween and that time of year became my favorite time of year. Um, and I just got so into it. And then Salem itself is so funny because it's just sort of ingrained into the culture and there's, there's witches everywhere. There's like witch branding on their, you know, the official Salem, uh, mm -hmm. on all, on all of the street signs. And, you know, there's a statue of, um, what is it? Samantha? Samantha from, Stevens. Yeah. And yeah. She, which is like just a witch. It's just cause she's a witch. <laughs> like, all right, we'll have a statue here. Um, it's, it's cool. Yeah. I, I, we really got into it and a lot of people that we grew up with, uh, just ignored yeah, it. And, <laughs> oh, 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 really? That's, well, I guess that kind of makes sense. Cause if you grew up and around it, you can see how some people might gravitate towards it and some would just be like, this thing. Yeah. So that, that kind of makes sense. And Sean, you were saying you helped build uh, the museum, the witch museum or something like the, that? So there, we worked for a family that did three, they had they own three museums, um, and one, mm -hmm. the first museum is called the Witch Dungeon Museum, which is probably the most famous. It's I, was, I most think famous. I've been to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Depending on when. They, Maybe I was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sinead, Sinead, was, uh, Sinead worked at that one. And then they had a, a museum called the New England Pirate Museum, and that is mm -hmm. primarily where I worked, and I dressed up as a- yeah. um, yeah. A fisherman from Marblehead named Philip Ashton, who was kidnapped by pirates. And I gave people tours of this whole, let's just, just show them, you know, told stories about piracy in, in the area, um, and yeah. down the Eastern seaboard. And then, um, they bought another place and they, they constructed a new, uh, um, a new museum called the witch history museum. And I was, mm -hmm. I remember like we would close up shop at the pirate museum and then go over there and like, I would help paint. And like, I remember when that place opened and like working the gift shop there that summer. Um, I did not know this, Sean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it was really fun. And uh, I only worked, yeah, the gift shop there a few times, but mm. I was primarily a pirate boy. Um, nice. Nice. <laughs> I was um, primarily at the Witch Dungeon. I started yeah. in the gift shop and then became uh, an actor because mm -hmm. we did live reenactments of the witch trials. And I played Mary Warren, uh, one of the people who accused uh, people of being witches. And I yeah, screamed yeah. and said that the devil was pinching me. And uh, uh, yeah. And then I started working at the Witch History Museum, which I just learned that Sean painted. Um, and that was a <laughs> I, much I, more I boring helped. one. I helped paint. Um, <laughs> I still wore my Puritan costume, but I just was me giving tours of terrible mannequin sets. Yeah. And then one summer they needed me at the pirate museum and I became the first girl to ever oh. give a tour at the pirate museum. <laughs> That's amazing. Exciting. That's amazing. Who, was, who did you do it as? Like, what was your character? Just made it up? Just, just vibing. Like, uh, Zoe Saldana <laughs> from Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Well, look, I love I love pirates. I love witches. So I have the perfect people on today. Yeah. This is great. So in Connecticut, the witch trials, as I said, it's like 50-ish years before mm -hmm. Salem, maybe 60 or so. And the time period, this is this is what kind of stands out that's different about the Connecticut witch trials, is the time period was 1647, which is when the first execution happened 
The last execution in Connecticut was 1662, but there are outliers. There's other accusations and trials that go into like the 1690s and maybe even this early 1700s. Some people may classify that as part of the Connecticut witch hysteria thing. So it lasted a lot longer than Salem because Salem was relatively short, right? Yeah, it's like a 16-month period. 16-month period. And I think uh, 19 people, I don't know if you remember your stats, um, but I think it's 19 people people hanged, one person crushed to death by stones. Oh, so it's 20 total. Okay. And um, the unknown number of people died in the jails as well. Uh, Of course. Yeah, and that's one of those things of like old records in that time period. They're not taken care of or well taken account of so (laughs) there's probably more and in connecticut there were around 34 accused depending on what you read but that's the general number and 11 people killed nine women two men all hung no one was crushed by rocks or burned at the stake or anything like that they were all hung and i was reading this thing that that did a little math because i don't like math Um, but someone pointed out the execution rate in salem was nine percent because they accused so many people, it's, it's relatively low. But the Connecticut witch trials, it was 30%, even though there were less people accused, but like a higher percentage of them were actually killed, which essentially just tells me you do not want to live in New England in these puritanical <laughs> times uh-huh. at all. Very, just- very inefficient. Very inefficient, very scary. And uh, as we'll get into, anybody can accuse anybody of being a witch. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So what what is a witch? Do you guys have like a, a definition that you would think of? Well, I'm going to go ahead and and just accuse Sinead of being a witch since we're allowed to do that. I was hoping um, that would happen today. <laughs> yeah, and now you can see what a witch is. Yeah. Um, no, Sinead, what do you? What do you? <laughs> um, I suppose in that time it was someone who had made a pact with the devil in some way, and. Um, was just, you know, um, friends with the devil to, to make gains in their earthly existence and yeah. at the expense of others. Um, just it's a, it was a very like someone who is not doing Christian stuff. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it, that's, it, it's very vague. The, the definition of, of it was very general. And here I'll read the, the law from the colony of Connecticut that they passed in 1642 outlawing witchcraft, which mm-hmm. you would think in 1642, they would have already had this on yeah. the book somewhere. But the, here, here's from, from the colony of Connecticut. If any man after conviction shall have or worship any other God, but the Lord God, he shall be put to death. If any man or woman be a witch that is hath or consulted with a familiar spirit, they shall be put to death. And that's it. That's all it defines it as. But it's vague on purpose because that way it's easier to accuse and convict a witch. Mm-hmm. And the history of witches, it, it, we're not going to go deep into this, but it's been around basically since humans started. There were some sort of definition of, of witches. They're even mentioned in the Bible in a couple of places. And between 1500 and 1660 in the in Europe, they estimate around 80,000 people were put to death because of witchcraft. And of course, mostly women, of course, because you know, yeah. women are terrible. <laughs> and the Inquisition had a lot to do with the evolving belief in witches. There were lots of these so-called trials like Salem or the Connecticut witch trials throughout Europe. A lot of them have been forgotten about 
So that's kind of the scary thing is there's more than we even know about. But just some of examples of these was in 1428, there were witch trials in Valais in France, uh, Trier in present Germany. Uh, in about 1528-ish, there was another big witch hysteria, Fulda in Germany in 1603. In 1590, Scotland went through a big witch craze. And there were the Pendle trials in England in 1620, so just 20-ish years before Connecticut. And Connecticut, New England, it's a New England. So people are migrating over from Europe, particularly England. So in 1620, you have this big witch craze in England. So obviously, that's going to influence people's beliefs in the colonies at the time in North America. And uh, Germany had the most witch trials that we know of, where... A lot of people died and lives were ruined and families torn apart. So it's not it's not good stuff, these witch trials. Uh, and then in America, in the New World, the colonies of the 17th century, life was brutal. It was very, very hard. And you had these religious movements and groups that are leaving Europe, coming over. And these groups tended to be what, I mean, I'm just going to call them extreme kind of religious zealots in a, in a way that we, we call them like Puritans today, or we refer to the pilgrims, uh, but the pilgrims didn't call themselves pilgrims. So that's that's always fun. I think they, they refer to themselves as congregationalists or brownist. Do you guys know? Hmm. I remember brownists. I don't, I don't brownist? remember congregationalists. It may have been brownist. And, and then maybe there's differences. Uh, I, I I don't know too much about that. But overall, we they're lumped in this group of like Puritans. And they were primarily separating from the Church of England, coming to America for religious freedom. Over here in America, as I'm sure you guys did too in school, you learn about them as like going, they're they're leaving for religious freedom and coming mm -hmm. to America for religious freedom. That is true. They wanted religious freedom for themselves. They didn't want religious freedom for anybody else. Yeah. So it wasn't very, very open. And the Puritan movement, broadly mentioning some important factors of their beliefs, is they believed God was to be feared. His rules should be law, and certain people were predetermined to suffer and go to hell. And there was no way to change that. There's no confession like in Catholicism. In fact, they did not like Catholics at all. It's one of the reasons they left Europe. Um, and they also believed in the active existence of demons and the devil, which is where why these witch things happen <laughs> from time to time. I'm going to read a quote from ConnecticutHistory.org just to paint a, a picture of this, this world in Connecticut at the time. Settlers from England had, by 1642, experienced a great deal of hardship that fed feelings of hostility toward the natural world as well as to anyone within the community who did not strictly conform to harsh social and personal mores. Disease epidemics, starvations, and winters colder and longer than those experienced in England were just some of the problems settlers faced. Perhaps more important, though, were the relations with local indigenous peoples which sometimes fueled violent encounters. For its part, patriarchal views of women as second-class citizens sometimes manifested itself in accusations of witchcraft. The majority of those executed as witches, both in Connecticut and elsewhere, were poor women, sometimes single mothers, living on the margins of society. Although Mid committed the overwhelming percentage of crimes, moral and otherwise, legislations, legislation pertaining to moral crimes largely directed itself as policing the behavior of women. 
So yeah, you think about it, the leaders at the time, locally and the larger colonial powers, those leaders were men. They were very religious. They were Puritans. And history tells us that women's individuality and sexuality and independence, I mean, it, it was scary. It's scary to these guys. These guys are kind of scared of that. And a lot of the stories I've read both in America and in Europe, witchcraft was also used for financial gain. That's kind of one of the most fun motivations that you come across because men and sometimes whole communities, like whole towns, could get a single woman's land or money if they if the woman was convicted of a crime or died. And so that is actually why a lot of accusations of witchcraft historically happened, because literally a whole town is like, uh, Sarah lives alone. Let's get her money. And like, <laughs> so she must be a witch. Uh, it's just such a scary, scary thought to have. Jeez. Oh my gosh, so many thoughts. <laughs> how, how did they know? Could, you, could they tell if you were predetermined to go to hell? You know, I don't know. I didn't like... Was it just like, well, you'll find out <laughs> eventually? I, you know, I, I didn't go into that. There's another episode I did, which I had to do a little bit of history on Puritans. And I don't even think, I think I did read about it back then and I just don't remember. So yeah, I don't know if it's like, oh, John over there is predetermined to go to hell. Um, yeah. Or if it's just like, you don't know. So you might as well behave and maybe it'll be better for you, but you still are probably going to hell. Yeah, I don't know. And honestly, if listeners out there want to fill me in with some details about uh, these religious communities and their thoughts on that, email me at studyofstrange at gmail.com. I would love to know more because I did not look that up, Sean. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm so fascinated by the religious aspect because especially now, so many years later, thinking about all the other possible reasons for these accusations um, and the hysteria, there's like feudal, like land disputes, there's money, there's just the uh, people being othered, Um, there's kids being kooky gals, Um, there's coming of age stories, there's ergot, like was it poison bread? And you're just like, how much did the, the religion almost just feels like an excuse behind all of this? Like, like witchcraft and, and devil worship uh, being not unchristian is like, that's what we're going with to get away with all of these other things that these underlying causes for this witchcraft. Um, and yeah. it truly, it, it just gets out of control until some cool governor comes back to town and is like, y'all, y'all, we got to stop this. Which, um, which does happen yeah. in this story. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. The cool governor always slides back yeah. in. And he's yep. like, y'all are Yo. messy without me. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, that's one of my big thoughts. And we'll probably even circle back around to this at the end, I would assume, because I think after hearing it, hearing all the people and what some of them went through in their trials, it definitely brings up kind of my fear. Fear, it may not be, fear may not be the right word, but it, I don't think humans change. Human nature is the same. Yes, we we evolve and we learn as the years go on and each generation gets smarter about certain things, but we have these innate instincts that I feel like we can revert to so easily, all of us, like we all potentially can. And that's what kind of scares me about these witch trials and learning about them is how quickly people are like, ah, I don't like those people. They're different. They're bad for our community. So what mm-hmm. can we do about it? Ah, witches. They're witches. Mm-hmm. There we go. 
and our tendency to use religion as an excuse. Yes. Yeah, of course. Uh, always. Yeah, it's a, it's a scary thing. So there are a, a couple of really interesting, influential pieces of literature that helped kind of build this fear and belief in witches uh, in the couple of hundred years leading up to this event and Salem, of course. One is there was a book called the Malaeus Maleficarum, which I'm undoubtedly saying incorrectly, but it's the Hammer of Witches. Yeah, it sounds cool. Uh, It was basically a guide to witch hunting and defines witchcraft in some specific ways. It was written by a German Catholic. I cannot talk today. It was written by a German Catholic clergyman named Heinrich Heinrich Kramer. There's a lot of tongue twisters (laughs) in there. And it was first published in 1486. And yeah, this influenced the lore around witchcraft. It really influenced people's thinkings. And the second reference that had a big influence on the world is this book called Discovery of Witches, which was published in 1644. So right around the time that this all starts. And this was written by a guy named Matthew Hopkins in England. And even if people weren't reading it, because I don't know how many copies of that were published, it could have been four. It could be like really little, but it's still like what it's doing, though, is influencing the world. And and Matthew Hopkins was quite well known around England because he was uh, an authority figure when it came to hunting witches. And he called himself self-proclaimed. This is not a title given to him by any government, but he called himself the Witchfinder General. And he would go around and help communities combat witches, and he would use torture, uh, things like sleep deprivation and water torture. And he also set up this um, the basis of having witches incriminate other witches, which, of course, you know from Salem is like a big part of that. And he, The Discovery of Witches, his book, acted as this guide to witch hunting. And they say that Matthew Hopkins was personally responsible for around 100 witches being executed. And so that's a lot of people to die at the hands of you just being a kooky guy being like, ah, I'm going to write some rules about how to hunt witches. What a legacy. Yeah, what a legacy to have. general. Wow. Well, Witchfinder Witch General. Gen- we should that sounds like a really good like bar name or something. Yeah. Oh, it did. Oh, that that is a good, uh-huh. it's a good pub yeah. name there. Um and there were I think it's in Witchfinder General where there's a lot of the the stories you hear about how do you find out if someone is a witch? How do you prove that they're a witch mm-hmm. and like the crazy sort of Monty Python-esque ways yeah. that people do things. Mm-hmm. And I think in this either in this book or if it's not in the book Hopkins Hopkins himself would talk about it, but there was a thing called swimming where you could tie somebody to a chair, throw them in water, if they get out and swim somehow, they're a witch, which means if they're not a witch, they're dead. So you've just yeah. killed an innocent person. But that, I guess that was okay. That was okay thinking. There's also the idea of the witch's mark, which is literally anything. Yeah. Anybody could look <laughs> at somebody and be like, you're a witch because you have a mole there. And that's that's yeah. a witch's mark. It could be a pimple. It could be a weird hair. It literally could be anything so there's no like specific definition yeah and hopkins thought he was this uh you know pure public servant thought he was high and mighty again uh i'm glad i do not live in this time period it is terrifying well it's also we in we live in a day and age now where an idiot can proclaim themselves to be the smartest person and come up with um (laughs) things like hey i'm gonna throw you in water and if you die then you're fine but if you live, then we're gonna put you in jail. Yeah. And um and, and also get away do, with it. And, do that in Monty yeah. Python, don't they? And, yeah. What's that? 
I think they do that in Monty Python. They do, they, they do the like, yeah, they, they do the like, oh, what, what floats in water? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> very small rocks. And they're, yeah, they're trying to, yeah. So it is, it is very Monty Python-esque. Mm-hmm. And yeah, here I'll list out some of the other ways that you can like accuse a witch yeah. just for fun. And this is just for literally, fun. <laughs> this is just for fun, guys. And then, listeners, if you want to start your own witch craze, here's a guide. There are more, but this is just to start you off with some examples about how you can or why you can accuse somebody of being a witch and see how it works. First, and this, I'm not joking at all. If you don't like somebody, it might be just because they're a witch. So you can accuse them as being a witch because you don't mm-hmm. like them. It's that simple, everybody. Uh, Also, if a grave misfortune occurs, like a sickness, an illness, an injury, someone breaks their arm, if they've recently been around somebody, that person that was recently around them was probably a witch because soon afterwards you got sick or you injured yourself. Honestly, that makes a lot of sense to me. So it does. It actually it explains so so much. Yeah. Uh, if a child, you, this is uh, this does happen quite a bit. If a child gets sick, child, the children are very highly influenced by the church, by their parents. The children might just not like a neighbor or something, and in their mind, be like, "Oh, that neighbor made me sick, so they're a witch." So, children getting sick is a very terrifying aspect for any innocent people around town because mm-hmm. if a child gets mm-hmm. sick, they may just be like, "Oh." Mrs. Robinson came by the other day and told me yeah. I should be cursed. And there you go. Well, it's a good thing that children don't really get sick then. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. It's good. They don't get yeah. sick, especially in this time period. They all lived. They, uh, right. not, not a lot of yeah. kids had any issues. Yeah. Hey everyone. I wanted to take a second to let you know about audible. This is an advertisement. I may make a tiny commission, but I'm only going to promote things I use and I love and audible fits that requirement. I use it literally every day. Audible is an audiobook and podcast service that lets you enjoy all of your listening entertainment in one place. Audible membership gives all members a chance to discover new shows, new favorites, new formats, like Words Plus, an exclusive music series right now. I primarily use Audible to listen to podcasts, but I do fit in an occasional audiobook, which helps me fit in research for this show into my busy day. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. 30 days free. Get access to the growing selection of originals, podcasts, everything. All you have to do is visit audibletrial.com slash strange. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash strange. Or see our show notes for a link. Thank you. They There's a lot of talk about basically just weirdness around animals. Mm-hmm. So like you could have somebody that wanted to kill their lame dog. They had a lame, lame leg and someone would be like, wait, wait that's strange. You must be a witch because you want to kill the dog. Or if you want to keep the dog alive, like again, you can <laughs> kind of go anywhere in your mind, but there are some weird stories about animals. Uh, single women, just, just be careful. Single women. Right. That's all I'm going to say. Cause that's, yeah, you're probably a witch because you're single. If you don't attend church, you're a witch. If you use blasphemy, you're probably a witch. If you lie or commit adultery, you're probably a witch. And the big one here is if a witch accuses you of being a witch or someone else, you're definitely a witch because yeah, a witch is going to say other witches. You saw yeah. each other in the forest dancing yeah. around the devil's book. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there's also this thing of witches, it's thought, could spiritually move, right? So it, what I mean by that is if someone has an alibi, like Sinead, let's say 
you you and Sean were writing a script one afternoon mm-hmm. and not just Sean, but like five or six other people were there with you. You have all these witnesses, but at the same time, someone else claims that you came and visited them in their sleep or right. whatever and cursed you. You have no defense. Your alibi does not protect you because you're a witch. You can mm-hmm. spiritually move and affect people from far away yeah. at different times. So there's no defense. No. And it is said that the best defense, if you're accused of being a witch, is to confess. Yeah. And this does not always work out well thinking about it like this. However, the thought was if you confess <clears throat> and if you name names, you might not get killed. Right. So that's like the only thing you can really do. Doesn't always work that way, but that was the thought. So yeah, so Connecticut, finally to the witch trials of Connecticut. Here we go. Uh, again, I, it started roughly in 1647. We don't know the exact causes of why it started, but it was likely that there was some kind of outbreak of an illness like influenza and life is already hard. People are looking for a reason to blame, something to blame for the sickness that had been going around. And it's thought that that laid the foundation for the witch trials and the witch hysteria that happens. And the first accusation, or I should say the first person to actually get executed is a woman named Alcee Young. Sometimes you see her name as Alice. I'm going to call her Alcee just because that's the way it worked in my head and the spelling of it. Um, but it might be Alice. And she is thought to be the first execution of a witch in the American colonies. There is no record of her execution. There's no record of her case. So we don't know why she was accused of being a witch. We don't know who accused her of being a witch. The reason we know nowadays that Alice or Alcee is likely the first person executed is because governor of the Massachusetts colony at the time, John Winthrop Sr., wrote about this in a diary. And he wrote just one sentence. It said, one of Windsor arraigned and executed at Hartford for a witch. We didn't know her name for literally hundreds of years. And then historians doing what historians do, piecing together information about these witch trials, uh, someone found a, a diary or manuscript from the second town clerk of Windsor, a guy named Matthew Grant, who wrote down in May 26th of 1647, Alcee Young was hanged. And then historians were able to do other deducing and d- detective work to piece together things like Alcee Young had a daughter named Alice, who was also accused of being a witch like 30 years later. Alice's son was called bad names by somebody one day who said, your mother and your grandmother were witches, you're evil. And Alice Young actually like sued the man for slander. And so there's interesting little court documents that historians have gone through and like pieced together of like, oh, because of that suit, we know that this and and Elsie was the mother and blah, blah, blah. Long story short is historians did an amazing job piecing together that Elsie Young is the first person hung or executed in the Connecticut witch trials and likely the first quote unquote witch executed in the colonies. Yeah. So there's, there's just a lot of theories around her because we don't have a lot of details, but what we do know is whatever happened in her trial and her hanging, the local authorities followed legal protocols as terrible as that seems, they would have followed their own laws about witchcraft and all these kind of things. And after Elsie Young, it starts that snowball effect where now things are picking up. People have witches on the brain. We already got one of them. Who else can we get? And so what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to kind of list out the witches or most, not everybody, but most of them 
who were accused. And some of these, I'll go into some detail, some I'll just be quick. And the the reason I'm going to do it this way is originally I was going to only like focus on like four people. But when you hear just names and you see, just get a, you get a sense of the volume and how, because when you hear the number 34 accused, that can seem kind of small. But when you hear all the names and various things, it's like, oh, this was crazy. Like, this is absolutely crazy what's going on. <laughs> so uh, also in 1647, this is, I'm going to give a little call to action for listeners that may know more about the Connecticut witch trials. There is some confusion. There's a woman named Mary Johnson, who we'll get to in a second, who was accused uh, and hung because of being a witch. But there was also another Mary Johnson in 1647 that sometimes gets confused with Elsie Young. But I couldn't find really any information on the first Mary Johnson. So if people have clarification on that, I would love to know more. Email me, studyofstrange at gmail.com. And that leads us to Mary Johnson that I do know about in 1648. She was from Weathersfield. She was a housemaid. And she became a suspect, or she became suspected of witchcraft, probably because she had been caught or accused of being a thief a couple of times. And locals, of course, are looking for witches now, and they go to a known thief. And there was a gentleman named Samuel Stone, who was a minister, who was an examiner in the case. And he was apparently just a real dickhead and wanted to catch a lot of witches. And he was actually able to get Mary to confess to being a witch. And she was found guilty on December 8th, 1648, and then hung in 1650. And the reason there's a couple of years there is because she was pregnant at the time of her sentencing. So they delayed the sentence until she gave birth. And because again, records are kind of shoddy. I'm wondering if she confessed and named other witches while she was like waiting for her, like while she was going through the pregnancy and in jail, because maybe she thought she'll live if she names names because she definitely named names. From what uh, from what we know from history, but nope, they they still hung her. Uh, we have Joan and John Carrington in 1651. Both were executed. We don't know much else. The governor of the colony of Connecticut was there at their trial, so it was a big deal. We have Lydia Gilbert in 1654, and this Lydia Lydia's story is it, it's something. Three years before she was tried, there was a guy named Thomas Allen of Windsor. Connecticut, who pled guilty to an accidental discharge. He shot a man named Henry Stiles by accident. I think this was at like a training, like a militia training ground, and his gun accidentally went off. He killed a guy. He was found guilty. I mean, he did he did say that he did it, so there wasn't much of a trial there. He was fined, but otherwise, he was fine. However, witches are good scapegoats. So it later turns around, three years later, in fact, turns around and people start blaming Lydia Gilbert for Thomas Allen's accidental discharge and because she's a witch. And this is where we're going to do a scene together, guys. So if you don't mind pulling up that scene. This is definitely not word for word true to history, but, you know. Uh, I think it's likely kind of what happened to Lydia Gilbert. So this is an example. Yeah. Close to history. um, If you went to the (laughs) witch dungeon, you were not getting anything close to history. (laughs) That makes me feel a little better because this is probably closer to history than that then. So, yeah. So this is what it may have been like during the trial of Lydia Gilbert. Let's have 
Let's do, do, do who do I want to play who? Uh, who us. wants to who wants to play the balding man? It's basically uh, a neighbor. Shanae, uh, why don't Oh, you want to do it? Yeah. Do the balding man. Okay, I'll I'll be the balding man. I just thought it would be fun to go against, you know, against type there. So, Sinead, be balding man and shouting man. Amazing. Uh, uh, (laughs) Sean, be the judge guy. Judge guy. And I'll be I'll be the the woman. See, we we went against sort of sex and stuff. And I'll read the descriptions and actions and stuff. All right. You guys ready? Yeah. Mm So we're in some sort of Puritan town hall, maybe a church, who knows, they used a lot of different buildings, and two grumpy-looking men in large hats sit behind a long table. A large, noisy group of concerned citizens watch the proceedings. Lydia Gilbert stands, hands tied, to one side of the room. A balding man, a neighbor of Gilbert, stands in the center of the room, having stepped forward to share his witness statement. The accused and her husband, Thomas Gilbert, boarded the deceased Henry Stiles at their home. I knowest, nay, we all knowest, what happened when Lydia Gilbert afflicted the musket of Thomas Allen. She used the powers of the devil himself to enable Allen's musket to fire upon Harry's and Harry Styles. <laughs> Henry Styles. Likely Lydia Gilbert did this because she was tormented with being attracted to Henry Styles. I knew him, and he was very, very, very attractive. The guilt must have attracted Satan. She killeth Alan with witchery. One of the men at the table speaks. What evidence do you hold? Uh, I, she, she came to me one night in my dream. (laughs) As true as thou art to me now. And she, she whispered to me naughty things. Oh, yes. Well, thank you. Anyone else wish to testify? A woman in the prettiest dress in the room steps forward. Lydia Gilbert came by church not a fortnight past with a smudge of dirt on her face. Another man from the back shouts. My car became ill a day or two, three or three, after I witnessed Lydia Gilbert walk by my farm while in a cantankerous mood. She must be a witch! <gasps> yeah, she's a witch. Mm-hmm. The crowd agrees. Mm-hmm. Quite, quite. Yes. 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 Silence, silence. Good wife Gilbert, thou art here indicted, that not having the fear of God before thine eyes, thou hast of late years or still dost give entertainment of Satan, the great enemy of God and mankind, and by his help has killed the body of Henry Stiles, besides other witchcrafts, for which according to the law of God and the established law of this commonwealth, thou deserves to die. I can't believe that happened. Ugh. I know. <laughs> it's so true. It, it uh, turns out I forgot how to read for the past five minutes. So it happens. It happens. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, so yeah. Lydia Gilbert uh, was hung for oh. for a man that was literally shot three years prior by somebody else who confessed to shooting the man. But still, they they tried and they hung Lydia Gilbert for that. And the the final judge statement is from. That actually is from record, that weird, long, strange, very <laughs> 17th century judgy type language there. That is that is real. Yeah. Yeah. It's not good, guys. It's not good to live back then. No. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna make a comment for listeners because I did not know this at all up until about a day ago. I kept saying, "Good wife." You read a lot about this. There's a lot of good wife and goody. What goody is short for good wife. And I was like, why are so many women named good wife? That just it does seem very Puritan to just name girls good wife. Yeah. I looked it up though. Uh, apparently, good wife is not a name. It's like Mrs. It's like the version of Mrs., which also shows you what they thought of women because the record doesn't show their real name. There's just many people called Goody or Good Wife, and yeah. they don't say like, oh, but she was born Lydia, yeah. like Lydia, you know, it's goody uh, good. it's pretty crazy. Yeah, Goody Goody Proctor's <laughs> name was Elizabeth. But it's just, I oh, was it? Oh, see, there you go. That's better than all the goodies I found out in Connecticut. I cannot find any of the real names. So yeah. Um, yeah, so when you hear goody or good wife today, just know that that is, it's like a form of missus. Yeah. And that brings us to the next person I'll talk about, which is good wife Bassett or goody Bassett in 1651. She was executed as well. It is assumed that she confessed. And today there's an ice cream shop named after her in Stratford, Connecticut. So that's Aww, fun. That's great. Yeah. And then there's Good Wife Knapp in 1653. She was also executed. And she's one of the most notable cases in the Connecticut witch trials. And it included two prominent figures in Connecticut, Reverend John Davenport, a founder of the city of New Haven, and Roger Ludlow, who was a deputy governor for both Connecticut and Massachusetts at the same time for a while, which is so weird. And, and Knapp is interesting because she was actually a well-liked individual. She was a respected person in town, which is not what normally happens in these witch situations. And during the trial of Goody Bassett, who I mentioned right before, Bassett said that there was another witch around town, and she's someone who holds her head up high. And that's all she would say. She wouldn't name her. She just said that. And people were like, oh, good wife Knapp. She holds her head up high. That must be her. She's a witch. And that might be one of the the reasons that she was accused of being a witch and died because of that vague statement from like a Good blind Wife item, and they're like, "Yeah, <laughs> uh, let's and kill apparently, her for this. let's kill her." And they she, she was examined for witch marks, and a woman oh, named God. Lucy Pell and Goody Odell searched her and found witch marks, which oh, literally sure. could have been yeah. a birthmark or something. And I've got so many freckles, and I've got a widow's yeah, peak. You've got like, no I chance. Would be, so dead. <laughs> you don't stand a chance. Uh, good wife Nap. She sounds pretty awesome because she did not confess and she did not name names. She nice. stuck to her guns. So good for her. And I mean, she was still hung, but I good for yeah, her. But you know, yeah. And then there was Elizabeth Goodman in 1655. She was acquitted, but she got a warning. So Elizabeth, oh Godman, I think it's Godman, not Goodman. Uh, Elizabeth Godman, she was a member of the household of Stephen Goodyear, who was a powerful sort of politician type. And there are, you can actually read a lot about her case. Some of the witness statements are in historical records. So this is one we do know more about. And I actually thought about doing a scene with this one, but the language is so, it just gets a bit overwhelming trying to write a fun little scene. However, reading through it, which I will have links in my show notes for anybody interesting, interested, it it sounds like the 17th century version of like the Jersey Shore or Real Housewives because people are just complaining about stupid shit. And this is like their reasoning for her being a, a witch. I'll give some examples here. Uh, there's a quote I read, which is someone talking, complaining about 
Elizabeth Godman. As soon as Mr. Goodyear had done duty, she flung out of the room in a discontented way and cast a fierce look upon Mr. Goodyear. That's that's literally, uh, that was her fight against uh, the switch. Yeah, this is what um, happened to people when they didn't have TV to watch. It's true. Yeah. You got you to have entertainment gotta somewhere. Make this entertainment somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. This and there's even a li- Real Housewives. Yeah. It was real. It, it literally is Real Housewives. Here's another quote. Mr. Hook, who's someone we don't know, further said that when Mr. Bishop was married, Mrs. Goodman came to his house much troubled, so as though it might be from some affection to him. And he asked her, and she said yes. So it's literally like she came and was like, she had a crush on me. How dare she? Oh She's my. a witch. It's just <laughs> gossip. It's just gossip. It's so crazy. Only a witch would have a crush on me. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm married. I'm, mar- I'm married, let me say. So she can. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's absolutely, uh, it's, it's bonkers. It's just truly bonkers. There's then Nicholas Bailey and his wife, Goody Bailey, in New Haven in 1655. They were acquitted. They apparently were lying a lot. They were like a couple that would say nasty things about people. So that was their their downfall. The example I found is that uh, Mrs. Gilbert borrowed two pewter dishes from like a friend or neighbor. And then she started telling people around town that that neighbor had a whole bunch of pewter dishes. Like he had his own shop. And for some reason, that's like offensive and weird. Uh, so there was there was an issue with that. So how dare they? They must be witches. And they did not get hung, but they were told you got to get out of town. So they moved away. And then there was William Meeker in 1657. He was also acquitted. Uh, Elizabeth Garlick in 1658. And Nicholas and Margaret Jennings, uh, a couple. And there was a hung jury. So I think they they were released as well. And now I'm going to bring up a major player in this tale of tale of witchiness, which is John Winthrop Jr. So John Winthrop mm. Sr. was the governor of the Massachusetts colony. John Winthrop Jr., his son, was a, a, an authority figure in the colony of Connecticut during this time, but he became governor in 1657, and he's that governor riding in on the horse to save the day. He was like, hey, this witch stuff, it's getting out of hand. We need to put a limit on this. We need to make this a little better. He he saw the the dangers of like mob rule. So he made it a requirement that a witch has to have more than one accuser. So it can't just be someone going like, ah, Martha's a witch. It's got to, you got to have more accusers. There has to be a more intensive examination and you cannot rely on supernatural evidence. So you can't just be like, oh, Margaret came to me in a dream and said she's a witch. You can't do that anymore. You got to have some physical evidence of witchcraft. So this made it much harder to accuse and sentence witches. Mm-hmm. So things seemed like they were took a little break from like 1557 or 1657 or 58 to about 1662. And that is when John Winthrop Jr., took a trip to England. And as soon as he left, yeah, as soon as he left, everybody was like, hey guys, (laughs) dad's leaving town. Let's have a party. (laughs) (laughs) Invite all your friends. Let's do murders. Why why didn't anybody accuse him of witchcraft? Like, of course a witch is going to say this stuff. Man. That's that's a good point. Yeah. Missed opportunity. That is a very good point. Missed opportunity for sure. So yeah, as soon as he's gone, I think it starts, I may have these a little out of order, but I think it starts with uh, a woman named Mary Sanford who executed uh, Nathaniel Greensmith and his wife, Rebecca, in 1662. 
they were both executed. They're interesting because they were very much that example of just a couple that no one liked. And Rebecca uh, is there's a story that she went out and like partied outside. Like, how dare she? Like, she was drinking. One of the people with her was Goody Ayers, who's we're going to talk about in a bit. And people didn't like that. Nathaniel, her husband, had been found to be a have been a thief at one point. So yeah, of course they're going to get charged and accused of being witches. And Anna Cole, a neighbor, accused Rebecca of trying to put a curse on her. And it's thought of nowadays, it's thought of just because no one no one liked Rebecca and, the th- and, and her husband. So Anna was just like, yeah, she put a curse on me or tried to. So eh, lock her up, put her away, hang her. And Rebecca, though, this is the reason I wrote down bits about her story. Um, is because Rebecca confessed and she did not just go, okay, I'm a witch. What, what do I do next? She went, yeah, I'm a witch. Uh, the devil came to me. Yeah. The devil, the devil, it was, it was, yeah. it was a goat. Yeah. See, the devil, and then, see the devil came to me. Yeah. And then uh, my witch, my witch friends, we all had a coven and we lit a fire and danced around it and we uh, invited other people. And then we set curses, curses all over this town. Curses every, like she did these embellished, like, yeah, just embellish stories about being a witch. Like she really leaned into it. So good on her. <laughs> good, good on her indeed. Even though, yes, she she did get killed for that. But that's uh, oh, and she talked about flying. She talked mm-hmm. like her husband flying, which makes you think about like the influence of these stories back then and how it, it affects and influences modern thinking about witches and flying and stuff like that. And yeah, she and her husband were hung on Gallows Hill in 1663. And in some accounts, uh, this couple, Rebecca and Nathaniel, are mentioned as the last witches executed in Connecticut. That's probably not true. I think that's just a mistake sometimes because there's a woman named Mary Barnes who was executed and she's likely the last one uh, a year or so after them. And in between them, though, there's Goody Ayers, who was seen partying with the Greensmiths. And Goodyears was accused of being a witch by a witch by Elizabeth Kelly, who was eight years old. And Elizabeth got sick one day, and this is after she had been spending time with Goodyears. Ayers had even made her soup one day previous to this. So Elizabeth claimed that Ayers made her sick, and then Elizabeth died. So the parents, obviously grieving, looking for someone to blame, takes this information. They go to the authorities. They accuse Goody Ayers of being a witch. She goes to court. They find, oh, this (laughs) this is one of those interesting witch's marks. They found marks on Elizabeth's body. So the girl that passed away, they found a mark and Goody Ayers was nearby. And the mark on Elizabeth was closer to Goody Ayers than anybody else in the room. So that Uh, means Goody Ayers is the witch because this weird mark on her arm is obviously helping us find a witch. And a doctor looked at Elizabeth and claimed that she did not die from natural causes. You actually you actually read sometimes that this is the first use of an autopsy for a criminal investigation in North America. I don't know if that's true, but some people say that. Um, but yeah, the doctor was like, oh, she didn't die from natural causes. She had to have died from supernatural causes. So none of this helped Goody Ayers. And she was able to leave town. She and her husband actually sadly like left their land, their belongings, their possessions, their money, and their son to hightail it out of town so they could escape essentially possibly being executed at one point. Yeah. 
This all seems like, did you, you read Calvin and Hobbes? A, a little bit. They have, they play a game called Calvin, Calvin ball, um, where there's, there are no rules. They just make it up as they go along every time, every, every time <laughs> they play it, brand new game and they're constantly coming up with stuff off the top of yeah. their heads. That's what this sounds like. It's like the Calvin ball version mm-hmm. of the criminal justice system. It, it really is like, that's actually a really good example. And having a six year old myself, he doesn't do this so much anymore, but a year or two ago, whenever you'd play a game with him, it didn't matter if you were playing with a ball or a deck of cards, he would be like, no, we're not going to play that game anymore. We're going to play booger snitch and like <laughs> make up a game on the spot. And then if I start to want win, yeah. he would change the rules. Mm-hmm. Like, no, 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 you don't use that card anymore. You got to use this. And that's very much what yeah. this is. Yeah. It's very much a Calvin and Hobbes way of doing it. So Governor Winthrop returned soon after this or during all these things and the executions stopped. The accusations didn't really, they did start to die out over the next few years, but they didn't really stop. And it kind of drifts into the 1690s, like I talked about earlier in the episode. Um, Just some examples of later cases. There's Catherine Harrison in 1669. Again, there's no more executions though, thank God. Um, She was accused of being a witch by a neighbor because there was some sort of like issue with livestock. I think neighbors were arguing about land or livestock. She did go to prison but I think Governor Winthrop uh, helped get her released, and she moved away. There's Elizabeth Seeger, convicted and released. She apparently used blasphemy. How dare she? And adultery. Oh, my goodness. Such a witch. And then there's James Walkley. And then into like the 1690s, there's Elizabeth Clausen and Mary and Hannah Harvey and Goody Miller and Mary Staples and Hugh Crosha and Sarah Spencer and more. So again, around 34 people were accused, 11 people killed, nine women, two men for sure. And because records are terrible, probably more. There, there might have been some more uh, killed in that time frame. So yeah, that is, that's yeah. the gist. I kind of th- I went through those things. I tried to go through a lot of them, but I wanted to get a nice idea of how many crazy stories in the Connecticut witch trials. And unfortunately, again, records are terrible. A lot of them have been lost from this time period. So we owe what we do know to historians working their asses off for probably over a hundred years now of historians working and tracking down records and using census records and military records and court documents and trying to like piece together little nuggets of information. So it is not nearly as well known as Salem. So yeah, why was, why does this happen, guys? You yeah, guys answer that for I me. Mean, it also that, that seems my... like. Sorry, you go. No, I was just gonna say when you first mentioned this, I was like, "Wow, Connecticut really was um, the Connecticut with Charles are really something nobody really knows about. Why is Salem so much uh, more famous and like it's like a huge historical um, point in American history, whereas this isn't, and it." It really just comes down to the record keeping, you know. Um, Salem, Salem. We had we had Cotton Mathers taking notes. Yep, yep, uh, yep. That that asshole. We had um, we had some good <laughs> names like Cotton yeah. Mather, Cotton yeah, oh, yeah. Chris Mathers, Corey. Um, I guess it just took forty years for the settlers to be like, we gotta take better notes. Um, <laughs> I, I think so. I think that was so. the takeaway from of- this whole thing. Yeah, 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 you got to you got to take notes, guys. We're going to keep accusing people of witchcraft. We just yeah. have to write it down more. Yeah. yeah. 
it's uh it, it actually does come down to that when i first started this i had read a few like vague comments and various like online articles and i have a book i read which was a, a main one of my primary sources for a lot of the information which was published in like 1903 so i had to go back a ways and it was not an easy read because he quotes stuff and he doesn't mention where he's quoting it from so i'm like is that it wait i want to track that down where's that from regardless my point was there's some comments and some things I read that say that politicians or authorities or people back then had reason to kind of hide this, which is they wanted life to seem great. They were trying to get more people mm -hmm. to move there. They yeah. want to establish these amazing colonies. I do think there's some truth in that, but there doesn't seem to be any evidence to support that they try to sweep it under the rug. Mm -hmm. I think that might have been just a simpler thing of some authority people being like, let's not... Like, don't worry about that. Let's not update those records. Let's not, you know, bleh. And however, for the most part, records were not kept well. And also paper, not good quality back then. So some of that paper degrades. Also, I read that during the Civil War, a lot of old files and record keepings and things like that were burned during mm -hmm. battles and things. So that's probably a source of where a lot of this information got lost. And then Salem was the opposite of that. Yeah, it came around half a century later so that helps because there's more people in the colonies they have to do a better job of record keeping now that there's more people and it was just so well all the notes were so well kept like you said <laughs> like they did a, they, they were very thorough in their keeping of records in salem uh whereas the connecticut connecticut witch trials they did not at all and they're also connecticut witch trials are all over it's a lot of like hartford and weathersfield and windsor but there are other towns and cities involved so they're probably all keeping records slightly differently and i think yeah. that goes into it as well well i also think with salem it's not just physically more compact but it's a more compact time more compact time frame um, and it's just yeah. more focused and there's more of like a narrative, it seems like with Abigail Williams, and Mary Warren and like how it started. Um, I mean, they, you know, they wrote a play about it and they, they wrote a play, um, you know, they all got together very, and wrote a play. Very inaccurate. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. But you know, like there's a, there's, you read about it and it's like, oh, there's a narrative here that it's easy to wrap your brain around it. You don't really understand necessarily what happened, but it's easier to teach something like that in school. And just listening to the Connecticut stuff, it's like, it's sort of sprawling in yes. time yes. and in, in the number of people. And I can see, even if the records were well kept, like I, I can see that Salem might still be the more, um, the more, you know, focused on which trial the yeah, hotter and there's a, trial. sorry makes, makes for a better a, be a better them. movie for sure <laughs> it yeah. does the, the the sort of shorter time frame the one community all makes for a better narrative mm -hmm. and one of my fascinations with strange historical mysteries and why i love doing a show like this is when you get to see how pop culture affects beliefs or history or anything. And there is pop culture around Salem. There are plays, yeah. there are books. Mm -hmm. Whereas Connecticut was at a time when those records weren't kept well. Again, it was 50 years before that, there's less people. And so it didn't grab on for, you know, Nathaniel Hawthorne didn't write a book about it or anything. And you didn't have those early American, you know, content creators <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, create stuff around the Connecticut witch trials. And so it, get, it gets lost to history, you know? Yeah. I also think like, I mean, I don't really know 
what the relative size of New Haven and Boston were. But uh, Salem's very close to Boston. And Sinead, what, am I wrong in thinking that like at the time this was going on, people in Boston were like, what are they doing? Yeah, like, they were. <laughs> even though some of the, I mean, the the, dun- the dungeons weren't even, weren't big enough in Salem because there were like 500 people in Salem Village, which was where this was happening. Yeah. So they were had some yeah. people in Boston. But yeah, this, the city folk were like, can we just chill in our new land? But that has a huge part to, to do with it is that this was happening in more of like a rural area, less to do, less power, less food, um, just less, less money in general. Less food that um, wasn't poisoned. Yeah, exactly. So that, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I mean, like, yeah, city, city folk have things to keep them busy. <laughs> they do. They do. They have things to keep them busy. You theoretically... Like you said, food is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like you know, suddenly you get bad weather, you can't eat out when you're in the rural rural area. And like I said at the beginning of this, life was hard back then. Like this is not a good period of of history. Life was so hard in the mm-hmm. colonies, and you're fighting with natives, you're fighting with other towns for resources, yeah. and you have these groups of people coming in that are trying to establish their own religious community with very specific views and there were differences like earlier we were like is it brownist is it congregationalist i think it's all of them i think each community was slightly different depending Mm -hmm. on where they were coming from um so they all had their very strong beliefs and life is hard so when life is hard you're desperate you're looking for answers you're looking for people to blame and humans are crazy we're all nuts so and get out of control we're all looking for a reason why things are happening. Um, and I can see people like life being as hard as it was people wanting some kind of reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just saying yeah. like, well, they're a witch and that they did it to me. Oh, they have a mole. Least, so yeah. that means three years ago I discharged my gun. <laughs> <laughs> we can take it a little too far, I guess. Yeah. We still just do a, that. Just a little too far. Today, yeah. we but do. to a much lesser, lesser degree, like everybody looks to astrology and, and tarot readings and um everybody wants a reason they're like i'm the way i am because i was born in august duh um and and obviously it's oh that's a lot more um, innocent well you co- you come in at me <laughs> yeah with that at you, <laughs> okay <laughs> what is it is it uh like venus is in re- mercury is in, retrograde. is in retrograde which is why that's I a big my thing. coffee all over myself this that's morning, exactly why you spilled coffee on yourself yeah. uh what's funny my wife's dad is uh is an astronomer and she made a comment when we were around him last summer about mercury and retrograde and he was (laughs) like he had this like there was a long pause then he goes i don't think mercury can be in retrograde (laughs) (laughs) don't tell all the la girlies i know i was like don't (laughs) tell anybody that and he was he was like really thinking about it really hard he was like well maybe if no (laughs) and (laughs) turn it upside down (laughs) really really put a lot of thought into it yeah Um, that's funny but yeah he he might be right but at the end of the day no one dies because of that whereas it's true it is true yeah and and yeah and kind of that brings me to like what have we learned like is there anything to learn from stuff like this and even salem and and we might already be hitting it which is like human nature we yeah. we we really fight to try to find reason for stuff that we 
are having trouble with, I guess. It keeps happening. And I, I, obviously it's, it's to lesser degrees and we have better, uh, a judicial system, although far from perfect, um, Mm -hmm. accusations happen all the time. But I think that things to a much lesser degree still happen like this. Like I I feel bad even even saying stuff like this when it, you know, doesn't result in death, but the way we treat like female celebrities, like, Oh, I love Jennifer Lawrence until she was in too many movies. And then I hate her. And I think she should never be seen again. Um, Or like Anne Hathaway, everybody just turned on her one day. And I was like, what? This beautiful woman. You just don't like her because she's too happy. Um, So to much lesser degrees, I feel like people who are too much of anything or too little of this or on the Mm -hmm. outskirts of society, Mm -hmm. people find a way to ostracize them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it it's reminds me of like the schoolyard in a way where people are quick to jump on a guy or a girl that they don't like for some reason. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, your backpack is has a picture of a Pokemon on it and no one likes Pokemon anymore. And and it's like these quick judgments that you can find with children, which is now making me be like, Well, I guess we we never change. Even yeah. as adults, yeah. we're still children. Because I think it yeah. ultimately it's more about the person saying the thing because it makes them feel like, okay, I'm the normal one. Everything is good for me. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're projecting their insecurities on, of course, other people on the world. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And I think you see that in these witch trials a bit with like the one that I read a couple of quotes from, which it just seemed like Jersey Shore, Real Housewives, where they're like, oh, she went and said this. And oh, yeah, she went and did this. And she didn't. She wasn't happy that day. And it's like, (laughs) so so she's a witch because she did things she didn't like. Therefore. Like, I don't. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what my point was with that was with that. I just I'm this story still boggles my mind because I, I wanted it. I wanted to try to get into some scary stuff with it. And I'm like, no, I can't. It's just a lot of. It's it's scary to think about the fact that these people, likely all of them were just innocents and at least 11 of them were killed because someone just came up with a reason why they shouldn't be alive. Listeners. Listeners, uh, this is slightly embarrassing, but this episode is cursed, <laughs> probably because of Sean and Sinead. I'm just going to blame both of you. Fair. For some reason, it lost the very end of our episode, so we're having to redo. We were right at the end, guys, when it kind of lost the audio, so we're just going to pick up and do a couple of things. And so thank you both for for being on and, and helping me conclude the story of witches. And Sinead is wearing her witch shirt. Yeah, I got to put on my witch shirt. Yeah. Um, so, Sinead, this is going to be hard because, of course, it, it's tough because you you said something that I thought was brilliant at the end of oh. last at the end of the episode, and so now I'm going to try to tee you up to see if you might be able to do it again. I know it's you're gonna it's <laughs> oh, like boy. oh wait what did I say? Yeah. But you were talking about how the the witches of the past, so to speak, kind of paved the way for certain freedoms or things that you oh, can yeah. do nowadays. Do you remember much Absolutely, about that? Absolutely, yeah. I was getting on my soapbox. Um, yeah. I was basically, I believe I was saying how grateful I am that, mm-hmm. um, I mean, like Sean had accused me of witchcraft in a joking right. way at the beginning mm-hmm. of this podcast. And like, I'm able to, I wear my witch shirts and I have like pentacle earrings and my witch necklace and I, you know, do some spells. But I am very grateful that, 
I am allowed the freedom to be like my witchy self and like lightly practice the occult and read books about witchcraft. And I know that it's still a work in progress. Like people are still very wary of, of witchcraft and they, they think it's something that it's not. Um, it's actually like a very, very um, peaceful religion, mm-hmm. Wicca, Wiccan and paganism. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no like killing of cats. If there were, I would not be anywhere near this stuff because I love cats. Um, and I just, um, I don't take it lightly, I think is what I said, that I have this freedom to be like who I am and what I'm interested in. And um, I don't forget that like people died for this in the past, people who weren't witches at all. And it was all just land disputes and ergot poisoning and people being mad at older women for being old and having a dog that looked at you funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I believe I mentioned that uh, nowadays it's very in vogue for uh, people to um, latch on to the aesthetics of witchcraft and talk about like their friends as their coven and like cast hexes on people and which is not a thing that witches do. Um, it's fun to say, but nobody does that. <laughs> and yeah, just, just showing appreciation and, and how important it is to know the history of the things that you take for granted in your daily life, I think is the gist of what I was it, saying. It, yeah, it, it. I think it was too. And I, I just thought that was a really, I just thought that was a nice thing. I, I thought that was a great way to look at it from that perspective. And it, it made me think too, because even when we finished, it, it sort of stuck with me. But I was thinking about how there's probably modern forms of the same thing. And we don't mm-hmm. have to go into all of that. But you know, people are so they're so black and white now, and they they're quick to sort of paint humans that they disagree with mm-hmm. as non humans or dehumanizing yeah. people. And that's what was going on with these witch trials, both in Connecticut and Salem in Europe before that. And uh, yeah, and they, they did kind of pave the way for us to be able to joke and say what we want and understand what's going on. And I do come across people or even articles or books where people are like, oh, but there was weird stuff going on. And what if this, yeah, sure, there's lots of innocent people, but what if some of them really were witches? And it's like, yeah. you actually look at the history of it and you start reading the accounts, you're like, no, none of them were. And again, no. they were. They thought that confessing was their only way to save themselves from death. So by confessing, they are you know, making it look like maybe they were witches, but they weren't. It was just a confession to save yourself. They weren't, no one was actually a witch, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Witches yeah, I mean, are a more fun story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've got shows like that Salem show, which I never watched, which is super yeah, weird that I never watched it. And like <laughs> Sabrina has like flashbacks to witches. And I believe the Fear Street trilogy did too. Um, and so people love to go out oh, WandaVision also people oh, yeah, love right. to yeah. be like, no, actually there were witches and they're awesome and they're still around. And that I think that's, focus. yeah, yeah. And I'm like, on the one hand, I'm like, really, it's like taking back everything and being like, no, the women were powerful and they're awesome. And at the same time, it's like, but does that negate how horrible it was for the people who were wrongly accused? I have, I have complicated feelings about it. But, you know, who doesn't love Hocus Pocus? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Did you guys ever see the, uh, 
Oh, now I'm forgetting the name of it. They redid it with Anne Hathaway, but it's witch movie where oh, a yeah. boy turns into a mouse. Yeah, the witches. Oh, the witches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Such a simple title. I should have remembered Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Uh, savage towards witches. Oh yeah, <laughs> of course, of course. Uh-huh. I love the the original movie of that oh, though, with Angelica so Houston. Yeah, so wonderful. Uh, all right, well, guys. Well, thank you so much for for not just coming back to say those few things. I, I really appreciate it because I, I just thought it was a great thought, so I didn't want to cut it out. And also, can you guys share with everybody where they can find your work, where they can find Shipwrecked Comedy? And maybe what you have on the horizon. Sure. You can find us at Shipwreck Comedy everywhere. YouTube, we make historical and literary-based content, um, series, sketches, musicals, um, all sorts of things. Uh, we've got a website, shipwreckcomedy.com. You can find us all the all the links you need there. Awesome. And we'll I'll provide some links soon, in our notes. <laughs> what? What's next we for just- us? We just did a series called Headless Sleepy Hollow Story, which is a modern comedic update on the legend of Sleepy Hollow by Washington Irving. And next up, we're doing an audio narrative called The Case of the Greater Gatsby, which is a film noir comedy set in 1940s Los Angeles um, about the death of F. Scott Fitzgerald. Wonderful. I'm really looking forward to that, as I said before. So, uh, well, thank you guys again. Thank you for taking the time to come back. And thank you for taking the time in the first place to talk about witches. Yes, it was so much, so much fun. I really enjoyed it. And I can't wait for everybody to listen to the show. So thank you all again. And I will talk to you soon. Yay. Were you going to say something, Sean? Did I cut you off? I just was going to say, this was really great. I learned a lot. And thank you for having us. Same. Yeah. You're very, very, very welcome. Thank you for listening to A Study of Strange. Special thank you to Sinead and Sean Persaud. Check out Shipwrecked Comedy to see all their work. If you enjoy the show, take a second to hit that subscribe button. Leave us a a rating and a review. And check out our Patreon, which you can find through our website, astudyofstrange.com. I think the week this episode comes out, there should be not just this episode unedited and commercial-free, but also another piece of exclusive content for our Patreon members. And next week, as I said, I think I said it up top, we will be doing a Bigfoot episode with a six-year-old as the guest. And that's going to be a lot of <laughs> that's going to be a lot of fun. Stay up to date by following us on Instagram at A Study of Strange, and send me comments, ideas for shows, anything like that. Information I may have asked for in the episode to a study of strange all one word at gmail.com thank you all again for listening and good night <laughs>